You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, Brant Hansen is with us. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Brant. I became familiar with Brant. I'm going to name a name here. I'm going to do a little name drop. Okay, so I was working on staff at Watermark Community Church. Jonathan Pakluda, who's been on the podcast and uh, is also on the board for Better Man. He and I were working together, and he handed me a book and said, I think you'll like this. And the name of the book was Unoffendable. You might have heard of this book, but it was written by a gentleman named Brant Hansen, and I devoured it. It was uh, so authentic, so helpful, so challenging just to the way uh, I was viewing life and how entitled I had become and how easily offendable I had become. And so I was so grateful to JP for sharing that with me. So that's where I first learned about Brant Hansen, and uh, he's written a few books since, and his most recent one came out in March of 2022. It's called The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Endorsement, or Any Man Willing to Show Up. I, that's a great subtitle. And so anyway, we invited Brant onto the podcast, and he graciously accepted, and we talk all about his new book and talk about why men are to be keepers of the garden and talk a little bit about some of the decisions that will set us apart. Uh, Brant has a gift, and that gift is clarity and simplifying things and putting things in categories that are accessible. So I know you are going to really find this conversation helpful. So with that, enjoy my conversation with Brant Hansen. Well, Brant, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Good to talk to you today. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Well, this new book that you've got out that came out in March called The Men We Need really great title and obviously is going to be really great for our better man audience right now. And um, so one of the things you had in there, you talked about this foundation statement for manhood is that we are to be a keeper of the garden, uh, which doesn't at, you know, the surface doesn't sound like a very manly thing (laughs) to be the keeper of the garden. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and where, where you got that idea and and, uh, why you're using that as like the foundation. I like that. Well, not to be too uh, cliche or anything, but I got it from the Bible. I mean, <laughs> this, is the, this is the job that God gave Adam. And it, you're right. It doesn't strike some people as like stereotypically manly, but that's kind of the problem. Like, we don't know what it is. And I, I feel like the church and, and the culture at large has deconstructed masculinity a lot, as you know. Yeah. And we know we're not supposed to be toxic. We know that not domineering and dominating and all that. Like, that's so true. But the reason I, I was like, I think this is the best picture of what a man should be is because I wanted to do a construction, not a deconstruction. Like, so what is it we're aiming for? What's the vision? What are we trying to do here? So that's what's behind this. And I, it's the job that God gave Adam originally. And he didn't give it to Eve. It's, it's, it's Adam. And Eve has another incredibly important role. And uh, she's a rescuer herself. Um, but he was made to be the keeper of the garden and he was given that job. I like that. And so one of the things I've appreciated about your writing and just, you know, being an admirer of you from afar, just your vulnerability, uh, your self-deprecating humor, I very much connect with that and uh, appreciate <laughs> that. And so you said in the book that you are a uh, self-proclaimed, not in, uh, non-intimidating or not overly manly kind of guy. Uh, so I always appreciate that. But it's really interesting because there does seem to be this movement right now about, you know, uh, that, you know, biblical masculinity really doesn't have anything to do with the Rambo over the top 80s action hero. And so what is it about that model that you think has failed? 
Well, it's not, it's not actually what we're supposed to, what we're called to do. And so I, I even see churches doing that where we, we're, when we think guys, we think, okay, uh, athletics, uh, throw axes, uh, cook some steaks, all that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that stuff, but not, all, not all of us are that way. What, what is, the, what's the core part of it? What's the actual vision? We, I feel like we have a lot of puzzle pieces, but we don't have the box top to the puzzle. And I think it's this keeper of the garden thing. And it, the reason I make this argument is not only because it's Adam's job, but it's amazing how when we're protectors, and, and not just protectors like I'll, I'll defend against an intruder, but when we're people, we're, we're people who protect a space where, where the vulnerable are allowed to feel secure and that the vulnerable people around us can flourish and bloom. I mean, that's what a gardener does. Like this, these are, there are species that can't survive out in the wilderness that can because of a keeper of the garden. So I feel like that's our role. And it's what's incredible to me and in, in how women respond to this when we do, we, we actually fill this role. It's like they intuit that this is what we're actually for. And they're very attracted to it. Any guy who does this, and I'm not, I, I'm not saying that as a selling point for the book, but it's just like women brilliantly, instinctively intuit that this is when we're at our best is when we're actually doing this role of keeper of the garden. They know this is what we're for. I think that's really in, instructive. You really, you, you frame up the whole book with the six decisions that set you apart. And so uh, you want to briefly talk about those? Just, just, you know, we don't have to go into detail with all that. We want people to, to go and pick up the book to read more. But uh, talk about why you framed it up that way and why you feel like these decisions are so, like, such an important part of, of all of this. Well, A, I mean, it's, I only have six, and I felt like that's enough. <laughs> but, but these are the things that will make, these are the things that will allow us to be keepers of the garden. Like what one of them is taking responsibility for your own spiritual life, which goes without saying in a way in Christian circles, but a lot of times we don't understand what spiritual even means because our culture has made spiritual and emotional phenomenon. It's a, it's a phenomenon of emotion. And a lot of guys can't relate to that. I can't. I can't, I, when people are like, I can feel God in this place. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I did feel, I did feel the chorus modulate up a key, you yeah. know, and, that, and everybody's <laughs> hands went up, but that happens at a journey concert too. So yeah. like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical, I'm analytical, but a lot of us are that way. But I, I found what I'm trying to tell guys is spirituality is not emotion. It's about loyalty. And that's something we can do. Like I am a sinner, but I keep showing up. And so I'm, I'm still interacting with God. I do this every day. I'm still talking to him. I'm not going anywhere. Like I keep showing up. And I think, I think when we understand it to be this believing, obedient loyalty to God, it's something a lot of us guys can go, you know what? I can do that. I can't control my emotions or give myself an emotional experience every day or something like, but that's not what, that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for loyalty. So that's one of them. Um, I don't want to go on too long, but like another one was uh, be ambitious about the right things. Ambition is one thing, but if you don't ask for wisdom, you're going to be ambitious about the wrong things. You can be ambitious and totally live a life of regret as a result. The obvious example that I use, when you've got little kids in the house, if you're a dad, it's little kids season. It's not buy a new truck season and then have to work extra hard to pay for the trappings of whatever lifestyle. I'm like, the wise man says, I know what season it is. I'm going to be ambitious about these kids right now. And you won't regret that. But if you miss this window, you will regret it because you were ambitious about the wrong stuff. So I'm like, ask, 
God for wisdom, because that's exactly what wisdom is. It'll let you know what, what matters and what doesn't and when. So that's just one example I'm trying to give guys, but that, there's, those are a couple of yeah, those. those are great, and you know we'll put some of the other ones there just uh, in the show notes with that. But you know, so the book has been out; it came out at the end of March. So you've had you know just a little under two months as we're recording this. Of those six decisions, are is there any feedback you've been getting early on from people who have read it that said this one really resonated with me? Either emails you're getting, or we interact with people when you're out speaking, or anything like that. Yeah, um, one in particular, I I, I talk about. F- Forget, what is it? Um, forsake the fake and relish yeah. the real. Yeah. And I'm coming at it. I mean, obviously, pornography is a huge issue, but, but I'm, it's not a guilt trip. I'm actually imploring us. This has, has to do with video games, too. Like, we're at the point where virtual stuff is actually more fun than real life. Yeah. Because it pays off so quickly and so easily. We get the dopamine hits so quick. So, in a video game, I can level up, but in life, you know, it takes a while to level. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> But the fake stuff's never going to call me out to be a man. Yeah. But there are literally, you probably know this, there's a, there's a phenomenon like in Japan, they're called the hikikomori. They're shut-ins. These are young guys, about a million of them. Wow. That have to be coaxed out of out of the house, out of the apartment, because they just have their pornography and video games. This is, it's not just Japan, it's spread wide now. Yeah. But I'm like, you don't want to wake up at age 70 and all of your relationships were virtual. Mm. All of your adventures were virtual. Like that, that's not what you want. And you know that. Yeah. But the thing is, the fake stuff will never call it, will never inconvenience you. A fake woman, pixels on a screen will never challenge you, will never argue with you, will never call you out to be who you're supposed to be, but you don't want to miss this opportunity. And so I do talk a little bit about that and also try to share some good news about what happens to your life when you're able to grow up out of some of this stuff. It, it really gets better. So that's that's been a resonant one. Maybe we need to figure out a way how to add some points to the uh, little kid season, right? <laughs> Just to get some yeah. more fe- immediate feedback. Because that is, I mean, I can resonate with that. I've got kids right now. My two boys are 13 and 11 when we're recording this. And that is such a great way to describe... Uh, that season. It was little kid season. And for a lot of guys, like we're driven to win. We want to know we're making progress. You just never know. I mean, it's just like one day you come home and you focus on the kids for a couple hours instead of doing something else. You don't know if they remember that. You don't know if that counted as a win, uh, which is why I think we can be so attracted to those other things, right? That That's exactly right. And relationships in general don't pay off with the dopamine hit that a video game does. But there's a certain kind of bravery that goes with that. Like us guys, what we want to do is do the stuff we know we're good at. And we shirk away from stuff we're not good at. Well, for me, that is relationships. I, I don't feel naturally good at it. Most people don't. But let's face it. If you do relationships intentionally, you're being very brave. And I have a lot of respect for it. But I, I've traveled the world. I've had the chance. I, it's a wonderful thing with the, with the ministry I work for. But it takes more guts for me to walk across the street than it does to travel to Afghanistan. And I've done that. Like It does. It's scary to talk to neighbors. It's scary to do relationships and, and be out there. But I just have a lot of respect for those that are, are trying in any way and doing stuff. We don't know exactly how to do it, but we're, we're, we're showing up. Yeah. Do you think that's unique to just, you know, a lot of the experience of life that men are having with that discomfort with relationships or, is, or is, so is that something universal you're seeing or is that more unique to maybe uh, to your life? It's probably especially unique to me, but I hear that it's like, I've got social struggles I've had to work on, and I really have. Yeah. I really have. I'm on the autism spectrum, and I've come a long way. Yeah. But 
I've had to say, I'm going to do this anyway. Yeah. I do think a lot of guys can relate to that. And I have read, I, I read Larry Crabb talking about that. The number of, the number of guys that don't feel like they can do relationships very well. seems like it's large. Yeah. Which is so funny because like I, I watched my, uh, my 13 year old the other night went fishing at a local, just a local like neighborhood pond, show up an hour later to pick them up. And there were 15 or 16 seventh or eighth graders out there just, you know, laughing, having a good time, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't know very many adult men that can no. go and do that with 15 or 16 people. And you're just talking to everybody, <laughs> right. right? Like, what is it about us that uh, where those relationships suddenly become a struggle? So I, I, I would tend to agree with you that it's a little bit more maybe universal for all men to struggle with that. Because I, I know like one of the worst things ever is when my wife is like, hey, do you want to go over to so-and-so's house on Friday night? And I'm like, no, oh, I don't want to, but I'm willing to, no. but I don't want to. Exactly. Um, so that's it's a real opportunity for us to grow up, which is a good thing. That like, we, we say we we can say that about physical exercise, like yeah, you have to, no pain, no gain. But it's really it's true of a lot of stuff. This is how we're going to grow up. I like that. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, about video games, dopamine, um, and so you asked some really compelling questions about the video games. And so what is it, you know, outside of like the scorekeeping, is there anything else you're seeing about video games that is drawing so many young men to really kind of devote their life uh, to that hobby? Yeah, I don't know. Um, outside, of, I do think we can get addicted. I know we can get addicted to anything that, that produces dopamine. Right. So I think that is what is going on. And I love video games, by the way. I don't go off on them because I don't like them. I do play, I play FIFA. I played today. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's just the problem. I'm saying it's not that they're evil per se. It's that they're too awesome. They're, they literally are too awesome. That's the, that's the problem. Life itself doesn't pay off like that. So everything else becomes boring by comparison. So you see young guys, you see this with little kids. They, if they get their iPad all the time, everything else is just boring until they can get it back. We don't want to be that way. That's that's why I talk a lot about that. And it's not, not going off on it as much as, as saying, like, this cannot be a significant part of my life because it makes the rest of life boring. I like that. I, I don't know, Brandon, if I've ever heard anybody describe it that way, but there's something in my heart that really resonates with that, that it's too awesome. That That feels like a much more positive way to talk about this rather than you shouldn't. It's just yeah, understanding right. you're you're really playing with fire and setting the bar quite high <laughs> that most of, of life is going to come in under that bar. Well, that's right. And that's the problem with pornography, too, right? It gives you this payoff, but it's fake and nothing. You didn't do anything. And so, of course, you're left feeling meaningless. You're like, life is, I just feel this meaninglessness, this listlessness. Yeah, that's because you're not doing meaningful things. We're created to add value to people's lives. And when we're not doing it, we start to feel listless. We feel ennui. We feel bored. We feel like, what's the meaning of life? And I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, I've never met anybody actively serving anyone who feels meaningless. If you're adding value to people, even if it's working the drive through, whatever, you're, you're serving people by doing that. Like that's, that's important. You're going to, you're going to feel more energized than if you're doing stuff by yourself. That's fake. I like that. Let's let's talk about work because you had a great line in the book talking about how even terrible jobs are great. Uh, I can think about some of our young listeners right now, those that have maybe just started their career that are going, I don't know, Brant and Adam, I don't know if you know my job. Talk about that, though, because I, you know, obviously I've been out of school for 25 years, so I can I can look at that and go, yeah, he's right. But talk about your experience with that. Well, I've had some horrible jobs on paper, working in bean fields for six or seven years growing up every summer, um, picking sweet corn in the midsummer, like working at a popcorn factory, like 
screwing jar lids. I'm like, okay, I've done all that. The thing is, what, what you need to realize is that work is not a curse. Adam is given stuff to do in the garden before the fall. Work is good and it brings meaning. And the other thing is, whatever you're doing, almost every single job has one thing in common, and that is it makes you serve people. If you're stocking the store shelves, like you can think, all I'm doing is putting these boxes on a shelf. No, no, no. There are busy moms that are, are old single men. They're, you're making their life easier. And that's true of almost every single job. If you're at Taco Bell, if somebody needs a meal. There's people who, like, there's, a, there's busy people. You're helping their families. So you need to understand that your job is not only necessary, it's life-giving, and it forces you to be a blessing to people. The fact that you're getting paid does not diminish that. So good. It's still very real. And you need to, you need to reframe your job that way, then bring some passion to it. Go, yep. well, I guess so. I'm going to do it all, all out. And the time will go a lot faster, and you'll actually feel more energized by it. Yeah, and probably if you bring that energy... Uh, and that diligence uh, and that mindset with you, you're going to also attract some attention from your boss and maybe then experience some reward, right? Totally. All right, last couple questions here. And one of them, um, I want to talk about your chapter on how to treat women, because it feels like one of those obvious things that we would be teaching our kids that maybe is not there. And if I can use a quick illustration of just what's going on in the Tarno household right now, uh, our sons are at the age where we've got them some of these starter mobile phones, right, that are not like the full-on iPhones. They've got some limitations. When my 13-year-old started talking on the phone, I started to realize that he doesn't answer the phone the way I answer the phone, and he doesn't end phone calls the way I end phone calls. <laughs> he just starts talking and then hangs up. And I was talking to my wife and, awesome. and another dad at like a baseball practice, and I was like, they have no phone manners. And then it, it hit me. We have no family phone, right? So that was something my parents taught me, and I'm sure they taught you. Hey, Brant, when the phone rings, you pick it up and you say, (laughs) hello. And then when you end, you say goodbye. It's this obvious thing that I just failed to teach my my boys. And so we sat down and literally one night at dinner, that was our conversation, how to have some phone manners. And I don't want to make, you know, that was something very silly and benign. And, and this thing about no, treating women great, is so that's a serious. Analogy. But is that is that what's going on here? Is it we just we just kind of forget this? Yes. Or is there something else? Yes. yes, we don't tell boys what their role is as men, or as what, what the masculine job is. So this is why I'm trying to write this book as a, as a vision for that. You're supposed to protect people. You're supposed to make people secure, not insecure. See, if, if men inhabited this, we wouldn't have a, a need for a Me Too movement. That's, that's a betrayal of masculinity because now women feel less secure because of what we're doing. Like, they should feel more secure. So when I told my son that, and I did it haphazardly, I wasn't thinking, I need to, you know, tell the next generation how to be a man. <laughs> yeah. But he was picking on Julia, his sister, and he's three years older. And I came in, I was just like, Justice, that's my son. I'm like, you realize you're supposed to protect her from people like you. You're actually bothering her. You're, you've, you're supposed to be her protector. And he got it. And I don't remember, I could totally be mistaken, but I don't remember him ever doing that again. I think they were like nine and six and he was done with it. He's like, wait, that is who I am. I'm a protector. Boys can get this. So why not tell them, here's your role and what's wild. I can tell one more quick story. Yeah, go for it. I start, the, I start the book with this because I especially want younger guys to get this, but older guys need to hear it too. When I was at college, University of Illinois, I went through the girls' house at, that was analogous to our men's house, a Christian guy's house, Christian girl's house at the University of Illinois. Every poster was the same poster in every room that these girls had, just individually put up their own poster. It's the same one. It's the best-selling poster of all time to this day. 
and it's an image of a guy holding a baby. And it, it's called L'Enfant. You can look it up. But it, I'm sure he's a good-looking guy. But there's a billion good-looking guys. Like, why is this poster so, sold so many? And what women will tell you, what they told me then, was it's not the guy. It's the way the baby's looking at him. The baby lo- is looking and making eye contact, looking up at him and feel, and looking like, you're, you're going to protect me, aren't you? Hmm. Like, it's so vulnerable. Yeah. And there's something in, a, in the woman's heart that recognizes a man who's willing to protect the vulnerable. Hmm. Like that was very instructive to me. And since then, I have noticed how women respond to men who are willing to protect the vulnerable. You don't have to be jacked. You don't have to have a big truck. You don't have to be a fireman. But if you are somebody who makes people secure around you, women happen to find that very attractive. To me, that's not why you do it, but it's very instructive on what real masculinity actually is. Yeah. No, and, and the instruction, Brant, from your book comes from making this accessible. And what you said in the very beginning that men are responding going, oh, I can do that. Like that, that's not, and I'm sure you and I have some similarities there that when I communicate something and somebody goes, oh, I can do that. Like that's the highest praise you could ever give me, right? Is like, okay, I just clarified it for you and made it feel accessible. And I think that's what this resource does. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to be uh, and has been and will continue to be a help to just thousands of men. So uh, this has been a great conversation today. Thank you so much for your time and jumping on the Better Man, Man podcast with us. Thanks for all you do as well. Thanks for being a blessing to people. Guys, here are the six decisions that are going to set us apart. This is from Brant's book. Forsake the fake and relish the real. Protect the vulnerable. Be ambitious about the right things. Make women and children feel safe and not threatened. Choose today who you will be tomorrow and take responsibility for your spiritual life. I loved the word loyalty there. I'd never heard somebody talk about the spiritual life like that before. So, Brant, uh, I told you there at the end of the interview, you are a gift. You have got a gift. You are using your skills well. You're stewarding them well. Your gift for clarity, for summarizing things. Uh, making some of these complex topics accessible. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for jumping on the Better Man podcast today. And if you liked what he had to say and you want to learn more about how to be the keeper of the garden, more about these six decisions, then head on out to Amazon or wherever you buy your books and pick up a copy of The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Endorsement, which is me, or any man willing to show up. As always, if there's anything that Better Man can do to help you on this journey to manhood, uh, please let us know. You can go out to betterman.com, learn more about our 11-week experience. uh, And if there's anything that we can do, we'd love to be a resource for you and to continue to help you. So please reach out to us and find out more information there. This episode, like every episode of the Better Man podcast, was mixed and edited by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we've got for today on the Better Man podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.